Our scripture reading will be verses 4 through 20. I'll be reading as is our custom from the English Standard Version translation. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. But you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is a rich, rich passage. Enable us by your Holy Spirit to glean some of its treasure uh, to our benefit in our lives as Christians, that we would be the people you want us to be living for the purposes for which you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is our final message in this January series where we have been looking, uh, broadly speaking, at this particular idea that ordinary Christians have an extraordinary purpose, that we are all ordinary human beings, ordinary Christians. We don't consider ourselves to be exceptional because of our theology or background or spiritual pilgrimage or anything like that. We're just ordinary, ordinary Christians. But we would say that what makes the most important thing for us is that we have an extraordinary purpose. Ordinary people, people God saves, remain ordinary. But the purpose that God gives them, the purpose they're redeemed to, is absolutely extraordinary. 
And we have seen that that purpose is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve him with your whole heart, and through him uh, to worship God and to give God all the glory. That's the extraordinary purpose. And that actually transforms every ordinary Christian into someone extraordinary. It's not who you are, but it's who you live for that makes you an extraordinary kind of human being. Not who we are, but who God is. We've also talked about the fact that even Christians can, can, can get sidetracked in this regard. It's very possible for us to follow the spiritual pilgrimage of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was a believer in God. He, he never lapsed into agnosticism or atheism. But what he did lapse into was looking at the horizontal rather than the vertical and, and fixing his life upon the horizontal, the things of this world, trying to find significance and meaning and fulfillment and purpose in what? Great wealth, uh, great attainments and achievements, uh, uh, putting his mind in to try to understand everything there was so, wisdom. We also know that he had lots and lots of wives, so there was women. Uh, all the kinds of things that people who only see life this way, the horizontal, put themselves into. Solomon's story is such an echo of the things that happen today. People who live for their present position, present power, present prosperity. I don't know any other P's to add to that. But people who live just for things of this world, the horizontal. Now, what did Solomon find? Emptiness, vanity, life lived in that way, even for someone who believed in God, became a very, very, very extremely empty kind of an experience. Hopelessness, despair. Life didn't mean much to him. He, he ceased to have any kind of pleasure and enjoyment out of life. Why? Because he wasn't living his life according to the vertical. Now, uh, we learn from Scripture, of course, that the things of this life are exceptionally important. There's no question but that your job, uh, your education, your role as a husband, your role as a wife, as a father, as a mother, uh, what you do in the community, what you are as a breadwinner, even the community uh, groups you might belong to, Kiwanis, Rotary, Junior League, whatever it might be, all of those things have an importance in this life. But the problem is, if we think that life will find its full meaning and fulfillment in those things, we will find that our lives as believers to be absolutely disastrous. It's a sidetrack. It's a wrong way to go. And that's what Solomon found out. So the question then is, what is, what is life all about for those who are Christians? Again, we come back to the real lesson of the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon. It's in the New Testament. It's in what Jesus came to be and to do for us. He came to be our Redeemer. He came to salvage and save our lives from futility. He came to enable us to know God deeply and to find all the horizontal of life finally fulfilling and living vertically toward him and for him. It's what transforms everything in life. It's what makes everything different. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, we learn from Paul 
that we are to do everything as unto the Lord himself. Because, he says, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do everything as though it is to Jesus Christ. Everything. And then that transforms everything. Because everything that's horizontal becomes vertical in terms of its nature and purpose in our lives. Now, I say all that, and I give a strong and long introduction here, so that I can get through my points more quickly. And the point that we're coming to now is that that element of prayer and worship called supplication. We've looked at adoration, we've looked at confession, we've looked at thanksgiving. This passage teaches us about supplication, especially when we get to verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, there are three things that I want to look at. First, and more fully, will be this. That there is this privilege of asking of God. An incredible privilege. And the second thing I want us to see is how this actually worked itself out in Paul's life. And then thirdly, uh, what's the theological reason or basis for asking God? Now, asking, supplication, is what we're talking about here. The Apostle Paul mentions in this verse, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving request. I'm not going to say anything about thanksgiving. We covered that last week. But the word supplication has many synonyms in the Bible. A supplication is simply a prayer. A prayer means to ask God. To ask God is to petition Him. To ask God is to request of Him. To ask God is to beg of Him. To ask of God for another person might be intercession. So all of these things under the category of supplication. And Paul says that we are to be those who bring our requests and concerns before God. So the first part. The privilege. There's this incredible privilege that God has given to us. Now, though Paul doesn't specifically attach this to the doctrine of adoption, it's an underlying theme all the way through the book of Philippians because Philippians starts out by expressing uh, the grace and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if God is your Father, then you are adopted into His family by what God did for us in Christ. And then throughout the letter, Paul will routinely speak of of the church in terms of brothers and sisters, you know, the brothers. So if, if if we're a family together, God is our Father, it's on the basis of adoption. And it's that basis of adoption that is our privilege to come before God to ask of Him in prayer, to bring our supplications before Him. Now I want us to think about what that might mean in terms of of uh, the scope of asking. Because I want you to appreciate the fact that Paul says this. Be anxious for nothing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. So, are you, are you hearing something here? Everything, in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known. The scope that Paul gives us here for prayer, asking God, 
everything. Now, of course, that raises questions. Um, because we have people today who abuse that idea. If I can ask God for anything and everything, then I'm going to ask him for the sweepstakes, the lottery, the Cadillac, the Mercedes. I, why stop with that? You know, why not ask him for Fort Knox? Um, the, the question then becomes, what does this mean? I remember Dr. Brian Chapel, president of Covenant Seminary, saying a number of years ago, because I heard this when he was a student, a classmate of mine. He was preaching a sermon in chapel or whatever and, and said, this verse tells us that whatever it is proper to have, it is proper to ask God for. Anything that it's proper for you to have as a Christian, it's appropriate and proper for you to ask that of God. Now, the reason he said that is because he was speaking to the timidity and misconceptions people have about what God cares about. We are often very, very timid in terms of what we will ask God for. And, and, and Dr. Chappell, back when he was even a student, wanted to encourage us to remember this verse is to try to say to us, don't be timid in light of what? Our anxieties and worries and stresses. Be anxious for nothing. The everything has as its target all of those things in life that makes us anxious. All of those things in life that make us worry. All of those things that bring stress into our lives. All of those things that are bona fide, horizontal concerns. In all of those things which bring you stress and trouble and worry and a broken heart and difficulties and challenges and things that make you doubt, in all of those things, you have the privilege to ask of God for everything and anything that you need. That's a fairly substantial menu. That's a fairly substantial guide. Now, one of the ways to understand this is to appreciate that the best barometer to cancel out our timidity and to be able to bring everything to God in this way is found in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5 and 6, which says this. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. Now notice, what's the scope of in all of your ways? virtually identical to what Paul's talking about. In everything, by prayer and supplication. The, the idea of the Apostle Paul here, in terms of the privilege we have as Christians, is that we would be able to come to God with all of those things that are a worry and a stress and a need and a concern and, and, and bring those requests to Him. And, and, and in Proverbs, it's telling us that when you do this, this is an act of trusting God with your whole heart. 
It's also a recognition that you do not lean on your own understanding. The timidity is often associated with this idea. This is far too trivial a thing to bother God with. I have known young Christians, baby Christians, but sometimes believers who have lived and walked with God maybe a long time, who have said to me, well, I wouldn't really pray about that because that's just not that important to God. Let me tell you something that Scripture teaches us. And I hope that you'll hold on to this deeply. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Please understand how significant that is. If it matters to you, it matters to God. I have people who, who just have a hard time grasping that. that. That God is really deeply concerned about every kind of thing in my life that matters to me. The answer is yes. Because Paul said, in light of all of the anxieties and troubles, all of those things that matter to you, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the other aspect of this, in terms of, of, of what Paul is, is, is teaching us here, in terms of this privilege, is that, that Paul is pointing to a process. What, what takes place in all of this? Because he goes on in verse 7 to say, when we have properly presented all of those things that matter to us, that cause our anxiety, that cause our worry, that cause our stress before God, when we have done this, trusting in the Lord with our whole heart, Paul says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul was teaching and applying what Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, between verses uh, 25 and, and 33. Uh, this is what Jesus says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Every morning I wake up <laughs> saying those things. <laughs> For the Gentiles seek after all of those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So, look at what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You're focused and stressed by the horizontal. So what did Jesus say? Your heavenly Father knows everything that matters to you. 
matters to you matters to God. So what did Jesus say? Look at the vertical. Seek first the kingdom. God's kingdom. And his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Trust the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding as you're troubled and disturbed by everything that stresses you in life, by all the horizontal matters of life, although they are important and sometimes exceedingly important. Your heavenly Father knows everything that matters to you. And if it matters to you, it matters to God. It matters enough that God had Jesus die to make God's concern for you tangible and real and practical in your life. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously delivered him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? See the connection? Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the guarantee that stands behind that promise? That God is for you, not against you. He delivered up His own Son for you. How will He not also, along with Jesus, graciously give you all things, all things you need? The ground of the promise is what God has done for us in Christ. That's why the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because we can say if God was willing to give Jesus for me he's promised he would graciously give me all things all things I need with respect to these things that matter all things that bring me anxiety and worry all things that are so stressful and difficult and challenging in life God has committed himself to me because I am his child. I belong to his family. Now, some more direction here in terms of what this means. How do we, how do we work this out in our lives? Because this is so important to us. What matters to you matters to God. Never forget that. But what matters to God should matter to you. That's what Jesus was teaching in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now listen carefully. 
Jesus taught us this. What matters to God should matter to us as Christians. That we would want first and foremost to hallow the name of God, to honor God as God in everything. That we should then secondly desire that his kingdom would come, the power and the presence of God would come increasingly into this world. So that thirdly, our third petition would be so that the will of God, that the gracious, wonderful, and helpful blessings of the will of God would be far more present in this world. Those things matter to God. They should matter to us. We must pray for those things. But then the second part, the second half of the prayer that Jesus taught us is all those things that matter to us matter to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, the word daily bread there is really a a shortened abbreviation for everything we need. All of the physical kinds of things we need as we live the horizontal. Give us this today our daily bread. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We we need to be praying to have gospel-centered lives where we recognize that we are debtors to God, where we sin against God. But in understanding that, we would recognize that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. which means if I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself, then I must be gracious and forgiving toward those who are my neighbor, whether they're nice to me or not. Living that life of gospel, grace, forgiveness to other human beings. And then lead us not into temptation. What is the greatest temptation you face? I'm going to tell you the greatest temptation you face is to live your life horizontally. The Apostle Paul said to us as Christians, conform no longer to the patterns of this world. What is the pattern of this world? The pattern of this world is that people in this world live for themselves in this world. That's the pattern of the world. They live centered in what this life can deliver for them, what this life can give to them. They live for that. What's the great temptation for us as Christians? That we would live for those same things. We would find those things important. Or we would find those things keeping us from recognizing that the real life God wants us to live is vertical, Christ-centered, abiding in Jesus, seeking first the kingdom. But what is God really saying in all of this? He who tries to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will gain it. If you try to gain this world, you will lose and forfeit your soul. But if you will be willing to give your life to Jesus Christ, if if the vertical is first, then you gain everything else. The point is, is that this horizontal life can be absolutely transformed by living for Christ first and foremost. It's it's an incredible dynamic that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and, that's the vertical, and all of these things will be granted unto you. For a Christian, unless you live first and foremost for Christ, you'll you'll struggle. You'll struggle with everything. You'll struggle with everything. Now, living for Jesus doesn't take the struggles away. But it transforms the struggles to have meaning because then in everything we're serving Jesus. Everything we're serving Jesus. Now, 
I'm really out of time here, but there are two more points. Verses 10 through 13. Is Paul actually demonstrating out of his own experience that he had learned to bring everything to God in prayer? Why had Paul learned to be content in every circumstance to abase and to abound? Why had he learned? Because he had learned truly what it meant to trust the Lord with his whole heart, to lean not on his own understanding in all of his ways to acknowledge God first and God directed his path. He learned what it was to, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to make his own requests to God. He learned to have this confident trust in God, no matter what the circumstances were. And if your deepest confidence is in God, so is your contentment. That's how you learn to be content, to find your deepest trust and confidence in God, his love and care for you, his son who died for you. The last point is there's a tremendous grounding in Scripture for our supplications. And we find this in verses 19 and 20 where Paul says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And to God be the glory forever and ever. So all of this, our coming to God in prayer with supplication, demonstrates, shows, reveals. I have to lean upon the God who leans upon no one else. The Christian life is not doing it by yourself. The Christian life is not doing it without needing God. The Christian life is one in which you are constantly leaning in every way upon God in Christ. And he's the God to be glorified because he doesn't have to lean upon anyone else. And our leaning on God, our trusting God, our relying upon God glorifies God. That's why Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we live in dependence upon God, which is demonstrated by the fact that we pray with thanksgiving and supplication about everything, then we know what it means to have the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'll conclude with just um, this story out of my uh, friendship with a man some 20 years ago, new, new, new member to the church. And we were having a, a church kind of picnic. And at the end of it all, uh, Bill had, um, was walking back from his car. And he had parked down the road a ways. And I saw him walking along and looking. I said, Bill, what's up? I have dropped my keys. And there's grass everywhere. And I said, okay. I said, let's pray right now. He goes, oh, I don't think God wants to be bothered by that. I just smiled. I said, let's pray. When we finished praying, he turned around and walked about 30 feet and found the keys. Now, 
That story was something I had more or less forgotten until he emailed me this week in an email group that I just recently belonged to. And he said, brothers, I've got to tell you a Randy story. And he told me that. I had learned early on in my Christian life that everything that matters to me matters to God. I won't talk about the fact that I'm always looking for keys in my house. I won't mention that. Not my keys, but someone else's keys. (laughs) But I want you to understand this. When, When you experience the kindness and love of an almighty God and the very tiny things of life. When you realize that everything that matters to me matters to God, it enables you to trust him for the really, really big things. If God would answer prayers for this, which is so trivial, would he not answer prayers for the things much bigger and much larger. That's what I want us to come away with today. I want us to understand that we have an incredibly gracious God that the living of the life horizontally doesn't have to be the story for us as Christians. It shouldn't be the story for us as Christians. That everything transformed to live vertically to live for the sake of the God who's loved us and cared for us. Learning increasingly how to adore Him, how to acknowledge in confession who we are before Him, how to give Him thanksgiving for everything He's done for us, and then how to bring our hearts, petitions, concerns, and cares. Because He cares for us this way. Because the Father to aid us in all of this, appointed His Holy Spirit and His Son to also pray for us. What do I say? God cares. The things that matter to you matter to God. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand What is so incredibly simple? Give us the grace to believe what is so incredibly deep. Give us hearts to to follow you and to love you in this way, to commune with you, to know that, that having a relationship with you and in your word and in prayer, learning the ways of our of our lives and following Jesus being drawn closer to you uh, is transforming uh, to become more uh, the man or woman who knows what it is to experience you in prayer. Lord, help us. Give us faith to believe. Give us hearts to go forward. Deepen our love for you. All because of what you did for us and your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Our final hymn then is Be Thou My Vision.
hymn number 642. Let's stand as we, as we sing.